वैष्णव गुरु परंपरा की जाय भक्ति विनोद परिवार की जाय गौर प्रेमानंदे हरिबो श्री गौरपुनी महामोत्सव तिथि की जाय मॉर्निंग गैन एवरीवन सो if two of the talks today they'll be more directly related to chaitanya mahaprabhu's form qualities leelas and so forth but i wanted to speak a little bit about the temple opening with regard to an incident in days gone by in our our guru parampara and tie this discussion to the initiations that will take place at the end of the talk both uh, harinam and in mantradiksha Some time ago I wrote a little something about a uh, a verse Bengali verse that was written by Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur and after reading that uh, explanation Madan Gopal said to me oh well I gave the history and the context of it the context of it was that he had written about six five or six lines padas uh, they're called in uh, a song and they were uh written to be sung at the time that the deities this is uh, written by bhakti sanat sarasthakur at the time that the deities in a rented house in calcutta were being moved to the marble temple that had been constructed and one line has been selected out particularly by pujapad sridhar marjan it's engraved in stone and big letters in his math and it very much characterizes the mood of bhakti siddhanta saraswati thakur that is so much uh, shaped our guru parampara as i like to refer to it quoting him the bhakti vinod paribar i mean it's the bhakti vinod paribar but it's been given shape as puja patrina marshu used to say by bhakti siddhanta saraswati thakur bhakti vinod one of the worldwide mission of forgodia vaishnavism he was a little familiar with the christian canvassing i in uh, in the general imperialism of the west in india and uh, he thought that uh, we should go out and make chaitanya mahaprabhu was teaching known everywhere fulfill his own prediction prithivati achi jato nagara digram sarvata prachar hui be mon naam mahaprabhu said my town will be heard my name will be heard in every town and village and so he had a vision for that and his disciple bhakti santosh dakar gave shape to that in the form of godia math which means um giving some structure to an idea so that it can actually to facilitate carrying out that idea to give shape and this is kind of what uh, what bernarani was alluding to in her or speaking directly about in her offering the, the the idea here and then when you have to give it some shape people have difficulty rallying around an ideal in a tangible way sometimes they may rally around it may identify with it but unless there's someone there to energize and and show practically what it means how to implement it they can't get involved in the vision won't be be realized so mukti sadam sasti thakur gave shape to the idea of of bhakti vinod thakur and of course prabhupad our prophet followed in that and gave shape and we have this they had this great mission of iskon with form engaging so many people and and so on is very um powerful dynamic so anyway the great bhakti sanat sarasvati thakur had built a mar- marble temple in uh in uh in calcutta and um written these verses 
that he said it should be sung while they carried the deity on a palanquin into the temple. And uh, one of them has been selected out. I said it's carved in stone in the moth of Sridhar Maharaj. It epitomizes the, 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 the spirit of Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasati Thakur that we're all, whether we know it or not, so much uh, influenced by. It's the, the current uh, of Bhakti Vinod Thakur. It's interesting because there are ways in which one can argue as such that it would appear Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasati Thakur was somehow divorced from Bhakti Vinod Thakur, very different in disposition and uh, way in which they uh, approached the uh, canvassing, uh, if you will. But if you look very, very closely and very carefully, you find this is really, really, he said the things Bhakti Vinod in many places wanted to say, but given the circumstance, didn't feel he could say in terms of manifesting his ideal and his vision. You can't kind of come out with it all at once. Always, you have to weigh and see how much. What is the climate? This is the nature of preaching. You have to weigh the climate and the times and see how far you can go, how much you can say. And it will be the case that you can always say more, but you can't say more. You have more to say, but you can't say it because the climate isn't right, the audience isn't ready to hear, and so forth. So when the next person in the lineage comes and really represents it in a dynamic way. Then the times have changed, therefore, the need for the, that's the whole idea, the need for the parampara. You know, people nowadays, it's popular sometimes to say that um, amongst some of my godbrothers and god sisters and people under their influence that there's no need for another guru because Prabhupada was there but and and he's still living and sound and so forth. But the whole the whole idea of the Guru Parampara is, is undermined by this. Evam Parampara Praptam. Krishna says, Evam Parampara Praptam, Imam Sakalena Mahata, Yoganashta When is there a need for the Guru Parampara? When there is confusion about the teaching that, that arises and so forth. And uh, so, with the disappearance of the Acharya, uh, a need to reassess and so forth automatically arises. And circumstances have changed considerably. So the dynamic representation in the lineage is one, then, where the successor takes the thing in new circumstances and explains it, and often in such a way that persons who don't think and consider of the circumstances feel that it doesn't represent the previous acharya because it's not, maybe he says things a little differently. I mean, Bhakti Vinod spoke very differently than Bhakti Siddhanta Sosithakur. They acted very, very differently, but they're intimately connected uh, from teacher to student and successor. Uh, Bhakti Siddhanta Sosithakur is in the lineage of Bhakti Vinod. This is our faith, and this is our practical. Faith here means experience. It's our practical experience. He has kept the, the current. Bhakti Vinod alive in the world. That's our task. So, this uh, couple of lines, Bengali lines, in the consideration of Bhujapada uh, Tridharmarsh, very much um, represented him and his approach to giving shape to the to the idea of, of Bhakti Vinod Thakur. And again, he asked that it would be sung. He wrote it along with several other lines to be sung. At the time, the deities were taken from the old temple, the rented temple, to the new marble temple. Marble temple was a big thing. These days, there are a lot of marble temples, but there were no temples for Gaudiya Vaishnavism 
of real significance in terms of opulence and uh, worldly um, elements and so forth, majesty and money spent and so forth, since, it should be noted, the time of the Goswamis, this the Shastra Gurus of, of Gaudiya Vaishnava Sampradaya. So it was so long of a time since any really opulent temple was built, which means that the significant, materially speaking, people of the times had become attracted to Gaudiya Vaishnavism and become patrons of Gaudiya Vaishnavism. Because where does the money come from? <laughs> it doesn't come from the sadhus. They don't have any money. If they're going to build a big temple, obviously they have to attract the attention of, of people who have monetary, material standing. So this was then what, for example, Bhaktivinoda was faced with. Gaudiya Vaishnavism didn't have rapport with educated, thoughtful, affluent people. And we have hundreds of years of no really prominent uh, manifestation of Gaudiya Vaishnavism in the way that worldly people can identify with. Worldly people identify with buildings and people and, and uh, something happening there. There's, you know, there's money there and this type of thing, even in the context of spiritual pursuit. You know that our spiritual suit, pursuit is, is one that, marginally speaking, in terms of a definition of Sutta Bhakti, is about not allowing our bhakti to be overridden by karma or by gyan, gyan karmadi anabritam. So we come with these two tendencies, the tendencies, the two tracks that the world runs on. Karma means the, the track of exploitation, acquisition, taking from the environment, and gyan, or the path of knowledge. You see, true knowledge, it speaks to us it expresses our, itself in the world in the form of renunciation or giving things up. Because why? Because we are all in pursuit of happiness and enduring happiness, but we are in pursuit of happiness in relation to things that don't endure. Do you understand me? Right? We are, we are pursuing happiness in relation to things that don't endure. Everything is here today and gone tomorrow. The best things in life are not things. So one who has knowledge understands this. This is, this is knowledge. And so what, the, what corresponds with that is then detachment from things, from the pursuit of enduring happiness in relation to things that don't endure. One has to get this foundational building block in place in the erecting of one's, uh, the temple in one's heart. It's a difficult one. And unfortunately, in Gaudiya Vaishnavism, it's an easy one to kind of like, yeah, I know that. And because there's so much more to Gaudiya Vaishnavism than that, while many spiritual traditions will end there, Gaudiya Vaishnavism speaks about the post-liberated life in all, in all of its intimate details. So it's easy to kind of step over that hurdle and, and do an intellectual sleight of hand and think one has gone somewhere and therefore our Gurudev was so fond of, of that phrase, you're not the body. It's a very, uh, it was like, he can read it a lot of times in his talks and, and books and so forth. Um, 
first chapter of the Gita comes to mind in this regard because often the first chapter of the Gita is kind of jumped over. It's just some history and so forth. But if you study it carefully, you'll see that the, the whole philosophy and the whole theology is found right there in the first verse, so to speak, the, the first chapter. Dharma kshetra, kuru kshetra, samaveta yutsava, mamaika, mamaka pandavas jaiva kimakurvata sanjaya. So in one word, this kind of ground, foundation block of the down to the philosophy, mama, two syllables, it's all, it's all there, my. Dhritarasa says, what did my sons and the sons of Pandu do, having assembled on Dharmakshetra, Kurukshetra? So Kurukshetra, there's the, from that one word you can explain the whole theology. And from the other word, mama, you can explain the whole philosophy. But people like to jump over. I've said in my own commentary of the Gita that and it comes again when Krishna brings Arjuna in his chariot to the armies to face them and so forth. Same thing. He's driving the chariot. There's the whole theology. He draws the chariot before Arjuna's principal attachments. Bhishma, Drona, there's the whole philosophy. And then, of course, Arjuna starts to rationalize. And if we don't stop the rationalizing, we don't go really forward in Krishna consciousness. We have to come to grips with the fact that we are not the body and we are in pursuit of happiness to one extent or another in relation to things that don't endure. And knowledge means then knowledge shows itself not by erudition and scholarship as much as by detachment. The person knows. But still at the same time, as I'm explaining, the path of taking and the path of renouncing uh, they are paths unto themselves, the karma marg and the gyan marg, that can take us to, in, in the direction of enlightened life, however slowly and very slowly. They're kind of very childish, as I said last night, ideas uh, about God. The karma marg is one in which we have an idea of God who's the giver and I'm the taker. Like a child says, give me, give me, give me. I perform pious activities to get from God, this idea. So this is like a child always wants to take, take, take. And so this is like karma mark. And gyan mark is what? It's the opposite. He realizes, or she realizes, I can't take. Nothing belongs to me. So we'll go and sit in the corner and pout. I won't, in other words, I won't do anything. But the point is, if you want to take gyan to its fullest expression, you have to come to this conclusion, what? Not only that it doesn't belong to me, what's the implication? If it doesn't belong to me, who does it belong to? So there is an owner, there is a proprietor. What does the Gita say at the end of the fifth chapter? Bhuktaram jagatapasam sarvaloka maheshvaram suhridam sarvabhuktanam gnatvamam shantim vichati. So the owner is speaking here, the proprietor is speaking here. And interestingly enough, if we know the true proprietor, this one piece of knowledge, if you know the true proprietor, then you're an honest person, even if you're not an honest person. But if you know the true proprietor, you'll be taken in the direction of honesty and integrity. Do you understand? In other words, if you know, oh, I want that, but it belongs to somebody else, then your tendency to, to take that will be, will be diminished. If you're standing in line and someone is buying groceries ahead of you and they drop a $20 bill and nobody sees it except you, 
you think, oh, there's a $20 bill, but it belongs to her. So you know it does, and there's other people around, and they might see you. And so anyway, you give the dollar, the $20 back. So knowledge of proprietorship is all you need, really. Knowledge of proprietorship and the extent to which you are have integrity or it makes you, it brings integrity to you. It forces you, kind of intimidates you to be honest. This is the only piece of knowledge you need to become detached. Krishna's do Bhagavan Swayam. So this detachment is there in bhakti in a healthy way. Because when you know the proprietor, not only do you stop taking what doesn't belong to you, but you don't sit in the corner pouting and saying, if I can't have it, I'll do nothing. I'll just meditate. Hmm? And I'll just pretend to be God in that way. I tried to be God by enjoying everything and amassing everything. That wasn't possible, so I'll try it another way. And people will be attracted to those who do amass a lot of things and to people who do nothing. People that, oh, they must be far, far out. They do nothing. They're detached. He just sits in the cave all the time. But the point is that there is something to do. There is a proprietor and knowledge of that, which is central to bhakti. This is sambandha gyan. Not just gyan, but sambandha. <laughs> it's not just abstract gyan, but knowledge of relation. There is relationship. We're relational, if you will. We cannot be fully understood unless we understand ourselves in relation to the world, in relation to its origins, and so forth. So bhakti harmonizes both these tendencies, karma and gam, which are the two tracks on which our life works. Not that everybody in the material world is engaged in spiritual practice, karma yoga, or, or karma uh, uh, following the religious path, or, or gyan. But nonetheless, while these are systematic paths, leading, however, indirectly to the absolute, even people not on the paths are moving along these lines. In other words, people are trying to acquire, and people are trying to give up also, having understood that acquiring is, is troublesome on some level. We call it boga and tyag. So we come into the bhakti marg, the path of bhakti, with these two tendencies to own and control and, uh, uh, and to mine and I, so to speak. And so they'll affect our bhakti. And shuddha bhakti, therefore, has been marginally uh, explained by Rupa in his Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu as, in other words, marginally means that which it's not. It's bhakti that is not covered by jnana and karma. Jnana karmadi anabritam. We call it shuddha bhakti. So to separate out these things is necessary. I, I'm explaining this in the context of when you have a big building and you have a lot of people and money and so forth, people will come. Something's happening over there. Let's go to that temple. We may be going for the wrong reasons because there's a lot of people there. There's, because we are this karma side in us is manifesting or is influencing our bhakti. Or we'll go to try to find somebody who only lives in the, in the bush and, uh, you know, and uh, seems very renounced. And I'll never mind the fact that he'd be living that way anyway, even if he wasn't a sadhu. Many people in India become so-called sadhus because uh, they don't have any money. <laughs> and so might as well live a renounced life and get credit for it. <laughs> and suffer and struggle. And, and so maybe some rich American will come and <laughs> bail me out here. And it happens. You know, it happens all the time. So bhakti is a bit subtle. It's very subtle. And rag bhakti even more subtle. Bhakti is really signing on 
to be a servant. And one day you're going to wake up and think, is that all it is? There's no other frills to it. There's no... No, that's it. It's just it's just service. And with that service, there will be troubles. It's part of the... Uh, this is the nature of serving. There will be difficulties. Did the gopis' lives are without difficulty? There's so many difficulties they have to endure. And sadhakas, great great souls living as sadhakas to exemplify the, the, the practice, such difficulties. They went Rup, Sanatan, Gosamis, our Prabhupada... For example, so many difficulties. They, it's, it's said, kleshagni. We, we were discussing this the other day. Kleshagni, one of the symptoms of sadhana bhakti, or one of the, I should say, one of the qualities of shuddha bhakti that manifests in sadhana bhakti. It means that in the state of sadhana bhakti, you become free from all suffering. So devotees will ask, well, when's it going to happen? I'm doing sadhana bhakti and I'm suffering. You have to understand it properly. What is the suffering that will be overcome? The suffering that will be overcome is the ignorance what results out of acting out of ignorance, that'll be overcome. But when you act in knowledge, there may also be suffering. But it's, it's not suffering because when you act in knowledge with feeling, it's a labor of love. It looks like suffering. And it may feel like suffering if you were to pay attention to it. But what they're paying attention to, great devotees in their apparent struggles, is the, the, the labor of the, the love, really. This is what the, they're doing it for a reason. So they can tolerate anything. And they've had to tolerate so many things. And Prabhupada was struggling, suffering. And you don't think it was cold in New York in 1965 for a person coming from India for the first time in the winter with no place to live? It was cold. It was definitely cold. But why he didn't feel the cold to the extent that he would be deterred this is the point, too. Suffering may come, but never deterred by that. And not experiencing it in the same way as those who's, in whom the symptoms of suffering are appearing as a result of ignorance or karmic bondage, avidya. So in, in sadhana bhakti and nishta, this avidya is, it really starts to unravel. In ruchi and asakti, it's, it's, it's completely unraveled. Suffering's over. It arises out of ignorance. And this is the power then of of only sadhana bhakti, but to speak of bhava bhakti, brahma bhakti. So, at any rate, this is my point. We're signing on here for service, and we, we don't think that the, I'll sign on for for a life of spiritual life, and there'll be no struggle, there'll be no suffering, there will be so much suffering. If it's real, there'll be so much suffering, and and you'll be unpopular also, at least to a point in the world of untruth, who wants to speak the truth, is not going to be the most popular person. So sometimes, you know, we, we paint a picture that uh, for the sake of propaganda, help people get, get involved. But at some point we have to tell them it's about service. And in service, then there may be difficulties. There will be difficulties. So Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasthi Thakur underwent great difficulty to erect that marble temple Marble temple for a long, long time in Gaudiya Vaishnavism. Since the time of Rup Sanatan, there were no big temples that I know of. Big temples and prominent outreach and so forth. That was, that's about 500 years. They, the Goswamis, yes, they were very esoteric. They wrote the Leela Grantas, high things about Krishna and Radha and so forth. And they were absorbed in that. Bedidastaka, Leela Smarnam and all these things. But they also built big temples. To put it, I'll give you it in Prabhupada's terms, their Astaka Lila Smarnam had some power. 
about one one devotee who was very popular or, or was was thought to be a Sudapurusha. It wasn't traveling around the globe like Prabhupada and so forth, but just doing Asakalila Smarnam. Prabhupada investigated it himself to some extent and he said, eh, where is the Shakti? He couldn't even keep Bhaktivinoda's house clean. Where is the Shakti? Couldn't even keep the house of Bhaktivinoda from, deter- from deteriorating. Make a comparison, please. This is Bhaktivinoda Paribar. <laughs> One person who may claim to represent Bhaktivinoda can't even keep the house from, which is a sacred place, from falling apart. The other person is making houses all over the world where they're saying, Jai Bhaktivinoda, Jai Bhaktivinoda, Jai Bhaktivinoda. And you tell me, where is the Bhaktivinoda Paribar? Where is the line of Bhaktivinoda? So to do something for Mahaprabhu, this we should be concerned with. Another student of Prabhupada's once he told me, an Indian fellow, he said he was doing austerities and living in the jungle and worshipping Krishna and so forth, and he heard about Prabhupada's mission. So he came, he met Prabhupada, and Prabhupada asked, well, so how are you keeping yourself, what are you doing? He said, I'm, I'm doing living in the jungle and this and that. And Prabhupada said, what are you doing there? Any service there? <laughs> well, no, actually. And Prabhupada said, what are you doing there? We've got so much service for you. So keep busy. That uh, don't just sit there, do something. Later you can sit there and do nothing. But, hmm. As in Prabhupada's language, work now, samadhi later. In Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasri Thakur's words, Kirtana Prabhavi, Smarana Swabhavi. Do kirtan, make a force, have an impact in the world. And this is kirtan. And automatically, remembrance of Krishna will come in your heart. And you can retire in due course for a life of bhajan, but not prematurely. So this is uh, very, much, very much the spirit of Bhakti Vinoda, as represented by Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur. He built a marble temple. It means his kirtan was uh, getting the patronage of wealthy, influential, educated Hindu people in the Hindu population. He was bringing respectability to the teachings of Mahaprabhu. This, as I want to say, this is what the Goswamis were doing. Yes, they were doing Astaka, Lila Smarnam, and so writing Lila Granthas and so forth, but go and see Radha Govinda Mandir, Manan Mohan Mandir. And, uh, these are huge stone edifices that, that uh, the kings contributed to, to build and took years and, and so forth. So they were, the Goswamis, they were, their bhajan had life. It had life to it. It wasn't a lifeless, imitative affair, but full of life and vitality. And thus it, it overflowed and touched other people and influenced them and so forth. And it provided ways in which persons could tread the Paramhamsa Marg, even though they weren't Paramhamsas. So after a long, kind of dry spell, so to speak, we find the mission of Bhaktivinoda Thakur and he had a vision to kind of bring the dignity that Gaudi Vaishnavism deserved to light amongst uh, thoughtful people, intellectuals, educated, balanced people, and so forth. And Bhakti Sanatasarasvati Thakur was following in his footsteps, and he was actually speaking to big English, Lord Jetland, and this one and that one, who were, uh, you know, it was the British government in, in India at the time. They were the governing party. And I read a letter once, quite some time ago, from a lady 
who had been influenced by Bhakti Sananta Saraswati Thakur in India, and she was writing to her, her to her English friends about a sadhu who she met who was different than the others. He was different. He was a little more like us. He was like he could he because I mean English looked at India as being backward, and in many respects, by Western standards, India was backwards. I mean, and is backward, and superstitious, and uh, and so forth, and has a wealth and a spiritual heritage and so forth as well. But the British could see they had some backwards ideas and 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 whatnot, and so they were used to that. This lady was used to that, and she said, "I've met a, this sadhu. He's different." And she was inspired by that, and she said, "He even has an English toilet." <laughs> <laughs> Kind you sit on, you know. Just, he's far out, you know. He's like us, something like that. So, this is very interesting, actually. Concept how how it's it's not merely a kind of a, if you will, a preaching strategy or something like that that you just kind of add on. It's actually a feeling of nearness to people and to the soul, and. Um, uh, like, uh, I'll give you another example. Prabhupada named the deities in London, Radha London Ishwar. Now somebody could complain about that. London Ishwar? Ishwar means the controller, and London means London. So here's the deity, Radha and the controller of London. <laughs> and someone might say, what is Radha doing with the controller of London? What is she concerned about that? She's not even concerned with the controller of Vaikuntha. She's in control for that matter. So, this is not a right, proper name. Hmm? Someone could think like that. I understand the thinking, but I think that Prabhupada had another kind of a thinking, a kind of a feeling about it that enabled him to get close to people from outside of his own culture. You know, at the time of Prabhupada's mission and preaching, there were Gaudiya Vaishnavas who were afraid to be touched by the shadow of a Western-born person who was chanting the name of Krishna. And if they were, I'm serious, if they were touched by the shadow, they would go and bathe in the Ganges or in the Jamuna. And Prabhupada, of course, lived amongst us and cooked for us and ate our cooking. Oh, how horrible could you get? uh, Because the cooking is intimacy and uh, and so forth. So he identified with the soul, with the soul, with, 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 and the spiritual prospect of everyone. And he named the deities. Radha Parish Ishwar too, I think, right? Radha London Ishwar, and it, to me, it was more of a really. It was really the it was the whole Vrindavan spirit, if you understand. It. He wanted the people of London to think Krishna's ours, and that is Vrindavan. It's called Mamata minus Prem. Prem is characterized by a sense of minus, not that I belong to God, but God belongs to me, Krishna. He he's ours. This, this is the feeling of Vrindavan. He's ours. He wanted the people of London to feel like that. This is our, our Krishna. So they could feel intimate with him. And so it's hardly the antithesis of Gaudiya Vaishnava and outside of the theory. It's the, really the theory applied, you understand me, in a very dynamic way. This is what we call, this is realization. This is the, the person who's caught the feeling of, of Gaudiya Vaishnavism and how to, to, how to apply it and, and bring out its universality it is a universal doctrine. It's not a, a, what do you say? What's the opposite of universal? 
provincial is the word I'm looking for, provincial, sectarian or provincial idea. It has universal application, and in, in bringing out the universal application of it, it will take a dynamic form, and naturally it will, it will captivate people, and for those who understand it in a provincial, in a sectarian way, it will alienate them. And that has to be done to go on with the whole thing. So this is the kind of preaching, the kind of, what type of, what quality of, of Gaudiya Vaishnava representation we've come in touch with, and we are uh, burdened with the uh, loving task of, of carrying on. And so he built, Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasthaka, this marble temple. Here he was getting the English ruling, I mean, English people were the rulers of the world at the time. It is said at the time that the sun didn't set on the British Empire. And Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasthaka, interestingly, had a vision also, this is before World War II, that America would become the most dominant country in the world. And on account of that, he expressed a desire to have 10 years to spend in America in preaching in the future. And although he did not live with us long enough to realize that personally, Pujapatridamar said he got 10 plus 2 in the form of his student, uh, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada, who spent 12 years in America and you know, abroad, outside of India, and bonded with the American uh, youth uh, at the time. So, uh, the marble temple, big temples. What are big temples? And someone, this question has been asked, what does that have to do with Ragmarg? The Ragmarg is rural and pastoral, Vrindavan, and this isn't Dwarka, and, and, uh, and so forth. They had, some people had some idea that Ragmarg meant to live in poverty and, uh, or something like that. But uh, at any rate, the harmonizing of this whole apparent contradiction between the big temples and the Ragmarg idea and is, comes in this, this verse. So these verses, there are six of them or so, that were written for the, taking the deities into the marble temple from the rented facility in Calcutta. A huge event for Gaudiya Vaishnavism, actually, a huge event for Gaudiya Mat and the uh, mission of Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur. So, when I had written a few words about it, <laughs> Manangopal said, and when we moved the treaties from the house up here, which we did yesterday on a palanquin with Kirtan, to the temple, we, we should chant this verse. I thought it was a very wonderful idea, but I knew that everybody wouldn't be able to learn the verse very quickly. And so anyway, we chanted Hare Krishna, but I wanted to speak on that verse. Forgive me for the long introduction, but um, it's an important verse, and it goes like this: Pujala Ragapata Gaurava Bhange Matala Harijan Kirtanarange. And sometimes it's also written or phrased like this: Pujala Ragapata Gaurava Bhange Matala Sadojana Vishayarange. Vishayarange Kirtanarange. Pujala Ragapata Gaurava Bhange. So. What does it mean? Pujala Ragapata. Puja means worship. And worship means that there's a, there's a difference between the object of worship and the worshiper. Otherwise, there can't be worship. Right? So, there's a difference between puja and love. Because as much as love is about two, it's about the two becoming one. And no, no separation. Of course, 
that's another story. Love is sep- union and separation are part of love, but even in this, the separation, there's more union than in the union. It is said that in union with Krishna, there's one Krishna, and in separation, there are millions of Krishnas. One sees him everywhere. Who loves him? So, regardless of the high theology about union and separation, love is about oneness, about unity, about becoming one with the object of love. This is the whole culmination of Ramananda Sambhad, Prema Vivarta. This is, Radharani doesn't know who she is. Am I Krishna? Am I Radha? She loses her sense of, this is a Chintibedabe, the whole philosophy coming out in, in Rasa. The enlightenment in this highest reach is a kind of a confusion. Prema Vivarta. So, Pujala Ragapata, he says, we worship the Ragmarg. Ragmarg means that path where the two have become one in love, and it's a dy- dynamic union. Uh, it's not a static union like we find in Advaita Vedanta, the union of Achinta Veda Veda Tattva. The two become one. In worship, in Vaidhi Bhakti, for example, this puja is very popular. Archan is very popular. It's, it's, it's very much uh, central to Vaidhi Bhakti, but it's not as uh, central to Ragmarg for this reason, because there's a difference between the worshiper and the worshipped. But he says, Bhaktisiddhanta, we should worship the path of love. We should have regard for the path of love. By showing regard, Kujala Ragapata Gaurava Bhange, then that Gaurava, Gaurava means respect, that tempers our approach to the Absolute. That will be Gaurava Bhange. It, it's an I believe in locative, so it's, in time it will be broken. The gates will be broken. The difference between worshiper and object of worship, the gap will be bridged, the reverence will be, will, be, will be crashed down. This is love. The gate is being crashed. It's a breakout. Hmm? The gopis broke, stole out in the night, out through the window they went, out the back door to answer the flute sound of Krishna. It's a breakout, actually. Raghunathas Goswami broke the chains of his parental affection that, by which his father tried to handcuff him to religious life and worship of God, tried to tie him back from, from the madness of love of God. Raghunathas broke the chains and went barefoot, not on the main road where he might be apprehended, but through the jungle from Navadweep. Puri. It's like walking from through the not on the road, but through the through the forest from San Francisco to Aldaria. I've got to get there for the Gorponim, and I'm out of gas. <laughs> I'm going anyway. Something like that. I don't have the money, but it doesn't cost any money to work to walk. Violent walk, and where I will eat will not be my concern. This is how he went from Namdweep to Puri. He suffered along the way. He didn't eat some nights. He slept in the cow sheds, uh, wherever he could find some place. But uh, there's no avidya in his movement. You understand? His movement isn't coming out of ignorance, but out of love. No suffering. Ignorance is suffering. The suffering of repeated birth and death. And what we suffer in a labor of love, that bringing an end to all the appearance of non-eternity that life takes on when we become an exploiter. So it's a crashing down of this 
Gaurava even, which is a kind of love for God with, with respect and reverence. It's a kind of a holding back, if you will. Uh, not like the madness of, of Brudge, where the cowherds, they don't have any problem resting their foot on Krishna's lap. You would think, well, I can't put my foot on, on Krishna. <laughs> they, this is called pranai. They see no difference between themselves, their bodies, and Krishna's body. It's like I've given an example before. If you're in a public place and you walk along and you touch somebody, they might go, oh, I'm sorry, excuse me. And they go, oh, yeah, excuse me. We touched. Yuck. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> but in, in close quarters with those whom we are affectionate, if we bump into them or rub up against them, you know, it's like it's not a big deal, right? Because you have some love. You've extended yourself you, into that person as well. So they touch you, you touch them. It's, uh, it's no difference than t- touching them, no different than touching yourself. Something like that. It's the nature of love, you see. So in Pranay, we call it, these cowards, they feel like this. So there's no difference for them between the object of their love and themselves. So they crash in on, <laughs> crash in on the, or out of the material world to make a break from Vaikuntha. Crash down the gates of Vaikuntha and, and the land of awe and reverence for God and enter there. This is a wild idea, but it's our ideal. But this verse, it, while affirming that, lets us know that's not going to happen all at once. And this is how it will happen. He says, Pujala Raga Patagaurava Matala Sadhujana Kirtana Range. He said, He says, We will do Kirtan, Nam Kirtan. When the gate has been broken, then the heart, the temple in the heart has been erected. One can sit and live in that temple of the heart and do service there. We find, as I spoke last night, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu at a certain point retired entirely from his Sankirtan exploits and, and lived in the Gambira and with a couple of people attending to his ma- him and his madness. And Practically speaking, he was uh, oblivious to the external uh, world. His inner states are described there in Chaitanya Charitamrita, his experience. So Kirtan and, then, and Smarnam, meditation, deep absorption, Ragmarg is characterized by this kind of deep absorption and meditation, smarnam. But kirtan, Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasri Thakur, rightfully so, was convinced, is the way to properly enter into such life of smarnam. It has such power, especially in Kali Yuga. And so he, he fashioned a very extraordinary and dynamic idea of kirtan. And it included... Kirtan is means to engage other people also. It's in kind of in unison. It caught so many people up in the glorification of uh, Bhagavan, Sri Krishna Chaitanya. And in the context of doing that, this kirtan, it was in the context of his kirtan that so many temples opened. His preaching about the glories of Sri Krishna Chaitanya and so forth. And our Prabhupada in, in, in the same way. So many, so many temples. And the temples, they require money. Funding and money is, of course, what everybody's concerned about. So wherever your money goes, that you're sure to go there too. If you sent a hundred dollars or whatever pinches you, a thousand dollars, it could be hundred thousand. Everybody has different standards of living. But if you feel the pinch, you've actually given. And when you feel the pinch, then you're reminded of that place, and you're going to go there. <laughs> go there and see how my money's been spent. But we shouldn't go with that 
in mind. And really, the real pinch is that I can't even because I can't follow it where it will go and how it will be used. We should give it to the Swami or whomever, even if he's prepared to throw it in the creek, confident that he or she is. Why give it if you're not confident? He or she has some power to give dignity to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's mission. To feel like that, then give it. And I guarantee, at least here, it will be spent in such a way to bring dignity to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's vision, to help manifest the, uh, the, the, the ideal in a dynamic way in today's world of Bhakti Manod Thakur. So, my point here is that I mentioned Kirtanarange, sometimes it's called, it's said Vishayarange. So, Vishaya means enjoyment. And uh, to build the temple, Bhagavad Temple, the Marble Temple in Calcutta, they had to take a lot of the enjoyment out of people because money is your capacity to then enjoy. If you want to play, you have to have some power. So you have to work, you have power, then you get some bank balance, then you use that power to play. So he took the, uh, the enjoying spirits out of people, so to speak, in the form of their money, and built the temple. Pujapat Sridhar said about this, he said, we were going door to door and begging people for money. And people in Calcutta thought, some people thought, what are these people? This is, these are different, what kind of sadhus are these people? Some thought erroneously. What are they concerned about money for? And for that matter, if you want to work for a charitable cause, that's appreciated and ask our money for that, that's fine. But at least it should be a cause that makes sense, like helping the poor, opening hospitals, education. But you're just throwing it to build a temple out of marble. And not only that, then to decorate the deity with fine silks. and I mean, God has everything, right? What does he need his silks for? A big marble house and, and, and all. They're like, he, he said, it was like we were throwing money in the Ganges. We had to get their money, and some of them thought, my God, they're throwing it in the Ganges. What a waste. So he said, Bhakti Sarasthataka was teaching us how to bring out all the worldliness out of our hearts and out of the hearts of the people whom they were asking for donations from. How to take it, spend it. Because why? Until this worldliness has been spent, you're finished with it. You're broke now. You've bankrupted the whole enjoying spirit. Then the best you can do is Pujala Raghapata. And Gaurava Bhangi is not close. He's saying to conquer over, to, to break down the, the gates of Vaikuntha and run into the forest with Krishna. You should know this Rag Marg, where the object of love and the lover are, are one and the same, they're in the union of love, as I've described, you're going to have to give up all worldliness. You can't take that with you. You can't go there in Vrindavan Parikram with your shoes on. No. You can't enter the temple in the Nikunja with your shoes on. You have to leave that behind. And so this is how to leave it behind. Spend the money in kirtan, in, in a big arrangement to glorify that marg, that path, to sing the virtues of the inhabitants of Vrindavan, to preach about that, to attract people to that, and, and to spend their, help them to spend their worldliness in the form of their acquisitions, their money, and their time, and so forth, and, and all, in a way that makes sense. If the sadhu was just going to go live in the, in the cave, he could do that, that's fine, but then 
He doesn't give anybody the opportunity to approach the rock mark, really, in a tangible, in a practical way, because you can't just go and sit down next to him. You don't have the adhikar, the eligibility for that. So what compassion? And is it not filled the path of the love of Radha with compassion? Karunamai is another name. Karunayaha Paranaguyam. Sugadev says, uh, Sutta Goswami says about, Sut, about Su- Shisuka, the boy who spoke the Bhagavat, my Guru Dev, my Shiksha Guru. Karunayaha Paranaguyam. Before he speaks, he glorifies him. Among other things, he said, he spoke this Purana, Sukadev, to the Raj, to the king. He spoke it to the king. That's significant. He was wandering naked. He spoke it to the king. And how? Karunayaha, out of compassion. Not to make a living for himself, no. He was naked. He didn't need anything. Out of compassion. Giving some shape to the love in the form of the 18,000 verses of the Bhagavat. And he says, so this is very much part then of that ragmarg, and it will manifest in a particular way in the world. And we see in the line of Bhakti Nottak through Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasthitaku, our Guru Maharaj, Pujapat Sridhar Maharaj, Guru, and so forth. Such creating facilities for us to actually engage our, our worldliness in such a way that it will be done, be finished. And when it is, when that, is, that worldliness is out of our heart, then there's prospect for actually, as I say, Gaurava Bhangai and bridging the gap, the distance between worshiper and worshipped. So this is this ideal. We'll worship the Ragmarg, and we'll worship it by doing kirtan and glorifying it everywhere, all over the world. What is it? Speaking the tattva about it, giving facility for people to come in a simple way, to move away from selfishness to selflessness by explaining Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam. Why Krishna is the perfect object of love? Why that word means the perfect object of love? Why it's the most worthy place then to repose our serving tendency within? How we can actually accomplish the ideal that everyone accepts universally that selflessness is more beautiful than selfishness. That selflessness is, is the ground, underground of foundation of, of love. How we can come to that practically. And sometimes in order to do that, you can't just sit and say, Krishna's two Bhagavan, so I'm going to make a temple and, and put up a flag and it's over here and something's happening. Uh, so anyway... In a small way, that's what we've done here. And so many of you have contributed uh, towards helping to build this temple. As Brindarani said in the, the article that she had written there, I was, we were sitting here in the woods, and uh, even Brahma, who hadn't seen me for some of you were staying at his inn, that's Brahmaloka down the hill, a, bit of a, a little bit of a ways away. But he uh, him and Leela came here, and they found me sitting in the, in the woods. We didn't have any any buildings at the time. None of the yurts were built. Or anything. What's Maharaj doing here? <laughs> Why can't I figure this out? And he writes these nice articles and they're posted on the internet, but what are you doing here? So he's understood over time a little bit more. And um, this was a dream of mine for a long time. Uh, actually, in Prabhupada's mission, we had many temples, but they were all like old buildings that were retrofitted into temples. I always wanted to build a temple from the ground up. And uh, with what little resources we had and manpower, this was all built by the devotees. And I want to extend my appreciation to all of them for their sacrifice and labor. 
we couldn't have built a temple without Chidahari. His knowledge of uh, building was very um, instrumental and uh, indispensable. And um, I think well, it's been about a, how long we've been working on it? A year, a year and a half, or something like that? Yeah. Two years. So um, he uh, led the, the uh, construction, and then everybody else was unskilled uh, labor that learned uh, along the way with many, many hours. And, and we harvested the trees and made the boards and, uh, and, uh, and everything uh, from practically from ground up. So I'm happy with that. The fact that it's a, that it's a temple dedicated to Gornatan on the outside of India, it may be the only temple that was built from ground up and by devotees um, outside of India for, for Gornatinanda, so it's a historic uh, event in the uh, lineage of, uh, of uh, Bhaktivinoda Thakur. And um, I'm happy that many people have come to participate in opening, and, um, and you're welcome to come here as often as you like. In the audience, uh, one of my godbrothers, Navadvip, is sitting, and he came here on one occasion. He said to me, visiting, he said, you know, this is really nice here. And he said... Uh, I wonder, you know, maybe I could, instead of going to India for pilgrimage, I could just come here for, you know, two weeks or something like that. It's a lot closer. And and I said, sure, you're more than welcome to come. That's what it's for. And it, it, it brings up another point, actually, and it's an unfortunate point, but one that perhaps does need to be un- underscored if we're going to continue on with this uh, dream of really representing the vision of Bhakti Thakur in a dynamic way. And that is that places of pilgrimage sometimes become less than favorable for visiting in the pursuit of spiritual progress. And unfortunately, the Dhams, particularly Vrindavan, has become a very, very difficult place to get uh, good association, to find the basic even peace that the Goswamis were living in. You know, if you go to the, I love to go to the Sanatan uh, Goswami's temple, Manamohan, and stand up on the top where you look out over the Jamuna, and you can imagine what kind of a place for bhajan he, he chose for himself. It was very serene. and So we have to understand them in a dynamic way. They didn't pick a place that was full of motorcycles and, and smog and, um, and uh, loudspeakers and so forth for good reason. We should find, make some favorable environment for our, our spiritual practice. One of my students wrote to me recently from England, and she said that Gurmarsh, when you gave me Harinam, I asked you how I could influence my parents. She's an Indian uh, girl, and her parents are Indians, nominally Hindu and religious, living in London. And uh, so I said to her, well, you know, the best way is is by your example. If you set an example, it'll be inspired. So recently she wrote to me, and she reminded me that I had given that instruction. And she said, but I'm I'm living with my parents and going to school. and, And the way my mother is sometimes, it just, she uh, is such that it makes me really angry. And I want to say something, do something, and then I lose it, and I become angry, and, and I can't then follow your instruction to set an example to inspire them. What should I do? And I wrote to her, and I told her, I said, well, you know, it may be convenient for you to live there in, in some respects. It's probably because, you know, you're going to school and you need the money and, and meals are provided, whatever it may be. But if you want to make progress in spiritual life, then you're not going to make it by living just comfortably in terms of your relative concerns. You may have to sacrifice such comfort for the sake of spiritual advancement and find yourself then 
my instruction doesn't change. You must teach others by your example. And if in that particular environment you're losing it and can't set an example, then move out. Find another environment that will be favorable to your practice. And that's, oh, um, that, then we'll be, what all the trouble that will, yes, that will cause us some trouble, some difficulty, some problem. And we should be prepared to take some difficulty and uh, undergo some austerity for the spiritual practice. Otherwise, there's no spiritual progress. That's for sure. So here, anyway, I've taxed everyone to make this temple, and not only those who lived here, uh, who live here and have been helping, sacrificing, and working, but those who have contributed also for the financially. I'm always, we're never short of causes here that require funding. And to be happy to know, I'm sure, that there are more, there are many more, even with disregard of finishing touches and so forth on the temple. So, this is all Pujala Raghapata Gaurava Bhange Matala Sadhujana Kirtanarange. And although we didn't sing the verse on the way down, here I tried to give a short explanation. Thank you very much. Sri Krishna Chaitanya Mahaprabhu Ki Jai.